You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. All right. Man, isn't the Bible an incredible book? Just that passage right there. Woo! That's really good. I'm really just focusing on verse 58, but I wanted to start in verse 52 because of the amazing message of it. And I'm looking to start a series tonight. I told you on Wednesdays, I love a Wednesday night crowd, and I want to get deeper into the Bible. Uh, Something that is going to take some study on your end. Uh, Something that you may not understand everything if you're not reading your Bible on your own. But I'm trusting that if you're here on a Wednesday night, you are reading your Bible and you are looking into it and that you will come up to me and ask questions afterwards if I need to explain something. But we need to get deeper. We need to go deeper into God's Word and that's what we're going to be doing on Wednesday night. So thank you so much for being here and being faithful. What do you say when a man falls off a ship? Man overboard. What do you say when a teenager falls off a ship? Full speed ahead. Yep. That's absolutely right. Usually they say, what do you say when a lady falls overboard and full speed ahead? But I would never say that, ever. Right, dear? I would never say that. So, but that's usually how it goes. So, <clears throat> she just gave me the sign to move on. So, what do you say when a lady falls, over, falls overboard? Full speed ahead. All right, there we go. Notice with me again the wording of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding. I want you to underline, circle those two words. Always abounding. To abound, if you look that up, it's, it's more than just abounding. It actually means to super abound. If you look up that word in Greek. To super abound, to exceed, to overflow is what that word means. One could say it means to go Overboard. Now, I know that's not the same connotation as the joke I said at the beginning, but it was a launching pad. So, have you ever gone overboard for something? We'll give some examples a little bit later, but to abound, you could say it means to go overboard. And did you notice that our reading tonight started with our theme verse for the year? 1 Corinthians 15, 52. While Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he takes time to remind them the rapture of the church may be today, And since that is the case, therefore, in verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do we believe that Jesus is coming again? Good. Well, until he comes, because we don't know, until he comes, we need some more Christians who will go overboard for God. And that's the series that I'm going to start. This was just supposed to be a message, but I I think it's going to be a series on Wednesday nights. I'm calling it Man Overboard, Living an Abundant Life. We need some more Christians who will go overboard for the Lord. Live an abundant life for the Lord. Christians who won't just participate in the Christian life, but abound in it, overflow in it. Christians who don't just barely make it by But Christians who give to the Lord and have some left over, have some to spare. When the Lord tells the parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal comes to himself and he thinks about his father's house and he says, he has bread enough for the servants, bread enough and 
to spare. Enough and to spare is the same word used here as always abounding. When that prodigal thought of all the bread that was at his dad's house, he could feed all of his servants and still have left over. That is the life that we are supposed to live as a Christian. How come, why often, why so often as Christians do we live our spiritual life paycheck to paycheck? You know what I'm saying with that? Where you're just constantly in a valley, barely making it to the next service before you get a shot in the arm to go forward. Why do we live our life that way? I understand that there are some times that are difficult, and God does speak about his grace being sufficient, which means just enough. I do understand that. But I also see verse after verse in Scripture, including this one, that is talking about having more than enough, having an abundance of something. And I'd like to make two statements before I continue about about abundance. What does abundance mean? And I want to make, again, two statements before we get into the message. Statement number one, abundance is having so much of something that it has to come out. That is what an abundance means, okay? I'm not talking about holding something. I'm not talking about having something or possessing something. I'm talking about abounding in something, okay? So could you say that this glass is full of water? Pessimist. Yes, right? Yes, you could say that this glass is full of water. Now, some Christians live their life just completely empty. There's something wrong. Right? Are we following? There's something wrong if you're living your life empty. Every once in a while, you're going to get on fumes. But you shouldn't live that way. Okay? Let's say we get somewhat full. We have some of the Christian characteristics or we have some of the things that the Bible talks about. Is that good? Yes. But there's still more that we can do. Okay? All right. So I always pour and it kind of comes down the side. But I always remember Julia Child, if you pour with confidence. So, okay, hang on. Okay. Some, some Christians live their life how it was there, and that's fine, but only fine. There's more that you can do. There's more that you can do. Okay, you live your life full. That's great. That's wonderful. But the Bible isn't talking about living your life full. The Bible's talking about abounding. Over, oh, of course. It, it spilled out a little bit here, okay? So overflowing, ab abundance is when you're, excuse me. Abundance is having so much of something that it has to come out, all right? That is statement number one. So make sure that we write that down, we follow along, because again, this is going to be a series here. It cannot be held in. Number two statement about abundance. When you have an abundance of something, you give it willingly. It's not like when it pours out, you're upset about it because you're not afraid of it running out. So abundance is when you have so much of something that it has to come out, but you're not worried about it because you have so much of it, you're not worried about it running out. You have plenty to give, okay? Have you ever heard of you know, people giving millions of dollars to charity? Like, two, like tens of millions of dollars. Well, they have a, an abundance of it. It doesn't bother them. Or, or gentlemen, have you ever watched an athlete 
and they tell the athlete, you're supposed to do this, and you're not supposed to wear this, and you're supposed to talk to the reporters after the game, and the athlete just says, no, I'm not going to talk to the reporter after the game, and then the league says, well, we're going to fine you. And they say, who cares? They have so much money, they don't care. Because they have an abundance of something, it doesn't matter if they get fined, or it doesn't matter if they give to charity or settle one of their lawsuits in court. So I've met many believers who talk about Christian characteristics and different commandments in the Bible like they're an inconvenience or, or like it worries them. For instance, tonight's message is about abounding in love. That's going to be our first subject that we talk about, abounding in love. Now, I have no doubt that everyone here has some amount of love in their hearts. But we're not talking about possessing love. We're not talking about having love. We're talking about abounding in love, going overboard in love. When I hear a Christian say, oh, it's just difficult for me to show love. You may have love, but you're not abounding in it. If you were abounding in it, it wouldn't be difficult for you to show it. And in fact, you would always show it because it would be overflowing out of you. Are we following along? This, this, this foundation is very important. When you are running out of something, you are less likely to give it away. Illustration. What is my favorite beverage? Clearly Canadian. You know that, okay? Now, I was always able to go to World Market and get it, but the World Market closed down, so we can't find it in the area anymore. But some of you lovely people have given me some, okay? And when I've, 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 man, there's a lot of water up here. I, um, I had a lot. So teenagers would come over and I would say, have you ever tried it? Here, try one. And I would give a bottle out here and a bottle out here. Well, now I'm running out. I'm not sharing anymore with anybody. It, they are tucked away in my pantry, only to be for special occasions, okay? When I had a lot of it, I have no problem sharing it. I have no problem giving it out. But now that I'm running out, and, and a lot of Christians have love, but it's like they hold on to it, and they guard it, and they only give it to people, they only show it to people to whom they deem worthy. And I'm really glad the Lord didn't do that with us, with his love. He loved me, and he loved you, even when we were unlovable. But that's what happens when you serve a God who is abounding in love. It overflows from him. He is, he is a God who is abounding in mercy. He delights in mercy. He is a God who is abundant in grace. He, he is constantly overflowing from him. He can't help it because he is abounding in it. And that's the way that we should live. That's one of the reasons that Jesus came, isn't it? What do you say in John 10.10? 10? I came that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly, not just abundantly, more abundantly. So if abundantly means super abundant, then what Jesus is saying, I came so that my followers, and he's not just talking about eternal life here. He certainly is talking about eternal life. That is going to be abundant. He's also talking about the Christian life here on earth. Even in this wicked earth, he says, I want my followers, my children, to live a life that is more super abundant. That is one of the reasons that he came. Think about how often we go overboard for temporal things. We have our hobbies. I hear of men spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on a hobby. Now, I understand that you need a hobby, but find a cheaper hobby. 
you know, like fishing and golfing. I really got into golfing. Every time you went out golfing, it was very expensive. It was incredibly expensive. Fishing is expensive. And um, hunting is, yeah, it's expensive. Now you could go poor man hunting, you know, but um, you know, all these different hobbies, they, they get more and more expenses. Even if you just want to go to a game and watch a game, sometimes tickets can be ridiculous. Uh, but when you get so tied to something, you go overboard with it, suddenly it just becomes more and more. How about, how about sports? I have seen people go overboard with sports, yelling at the screen like they can hear you. They can't hear you. I've seen people go overboard with a career. They devote so much of their time and their energy to a, to a company. We need some men and women in this church who will go overboard for God. That's what this series is about. We go overboard for a lot of things. Who's going to go overboard for the Lord? Listen to these verses right here. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. If you know anything about the church of Thessalonica, they're already a good church. And Paul says, that's great. Now I want you to abound. And not just abound, but abound more. And not just abound more, but abound more and more in what you're doing. 2 Peter 1.8, for if these things, now I preached a series on this uh, about a year and a half ago, but it's when he said, um, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to know all of those things, all of those Christian characteristics. He says, if these things be in you and abound. It's not just that they're in you. Do you have faith? Wonderful. Now abound in it. Do you have virtue? Great. Now abound in it. Do you have charity or love? Great. Now abound in it. That is what we are supposed to do. So man overboard living an abundant life. And I love what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 reminds us of. Before, uh, right after it tells us to always abound in the work of the Lord. Why should we do that? For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you spend, whether you spend something that you are full of or you spend something that you are abounding in, the more you give of it, the more the Lord will give back to you. It doesn't matter how much you give. The Lord will make sure that it is not in vain. We're going to spend our energy on something. Let's spend it on something eternal. Let's spend it on something... No, no, let's not spend it. Let's go overboard. Let's go overboard with it in the work of the Lord. And I think we would all agree that the first area we should go overboard in for God is love. And that is the area we're going to talk about. And tonight I want to bring out three areas that the Bible emphasizes about love. So three areas or three points... I'm going to give the point, and then I'm also going to ask a question with each point. So if you're taking notes, you'll kind of know where I'm going. I'm going to give an area, and then I'm going to give a question to help us kind of comprehend what the area is. Area number one, go overboard in your love for God. I know that you love God, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about going overboard to abound in your love for the Lord. Go overboard in your love for God. Can your love for him be described as abundant? Is your love for God overflowing? Something that has to come out. Where we have enough to give him and to spare. That's a difficult question. 
Maybe we don't know the answer to that question, but this verse here is going to help us answer it. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be all throughout the Bible tonight. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. Is my love for God overflowing? How do we answer that question? Let's read 1 John 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God. Time out. This isn't talking about God's love to us, but if you look in context, it's talking about our love to him. What, what does love to God look like? True, complete love. That we keep his commandments. That's step one. What's the last part of that verse? And his commandments are not grievous. Are God's commandments ever grievous to us? to where they're burdensome? Do we see God's commandments as a burden or as a pleasure? Do we see them as an obligation or as a privilege? Being separate from the world is a commandment, yes? Is that grievous to us? Have you ever met a Christian where that commandment is grievous to them? Certainly you have. To dress differently, to speak differently, to carry yourself differently, not to entertain yourself with the things that the world entertains themselves with, to find entertainment in things that are pure and holy, not in things that are risque and edgy all the time. That is to be different, to abstain from all appearance of evil, not just to abstain from evil, but abstain from all appearance of evil. Are those things grievous to us? Are those things too much for God to ask? Being faithful to church is a commandment. Is that commandment grievous to us? What is our attitude towards church? Do we come to church just because it's something that we know that we need to do? Or do we come to church because there's nowhere else we'd rather be? When we read, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, does God get the spiritual eye roll? Okay, I'll do it, but, but what? I know that we're here tonight. I I know that you're here and that you're faithful. Therefore, you must have some love for God to obey him in coming to church. But we're not talking about having love. We're talking about abounding in love. I'm not asking if you obey God's commandments. I'm asking further than that. When we obey God's commandments, are they grievous to us? Is reading our Bible a chore or a delight? Is prayer an I have to or an I get to? Is prayer something that we do in the morning and then say, Lord, I have to go? Or is prayer something that we do all throughout the day because, Lord, I I need to stay? There's a big difference. This is one that I struggle with, waking up early. But all throughout the Bible, it says you seek wisdom early. And you seek him early. Is waking up early to spend time in God's word and spend time in devotion a hardship? Or is it an honor? If we reached out to a CEO of a company or to the president of the United States and he says, I want to meet with you, and then he says, I want to meet with you at five in the morning, you'd get up. We'd get up. We get up to go fishing that early. We get up to go hunting that early. We get up to watch some certain things that early, or we stay up late to do those things. Why don't we do it for the Lord? 
No wonder God says you can hang all the law and the prophets on this first and great commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind because God knows if my people would just go overboard in their love for me, everything else would take care of itself. Church attendance would take care of itself. Every commandment in God's word would be fulfilled. It would be followed completely. It would be followed immediately. It would be followed cheerfully if we were abounding in love to him. Parents, don't you teach your children that? And if you don't, you, you should. Obedience isn't just doing something. That's not, just, that's not what obedience is. Obedience is doing something right away, all the way, and with a good attitude. And that would take care of itself if we abounded in love to the Lord. Do you know why we can find ourselves calling God's commandments grievous sometimes? Because they're not always easy, are they? They're always simple, but they're not always easy. Sometimes they're quite difficult, and my next point is going to prove that to you. But difficulty flees in the face of love. There's a story about a man named Jacob who met a lady. And it was love at first sight, right? Girls, I don't believe in love at first sight. If, if you feel you're in love at first sight, take a second look, okay? But Jacob meets this girl named Rachel. And he goes and he talks to her dad, Laban. And what does Laban say? If you want Rachel, you need to work how long? Seven years? Seven years before I can marry the woman of my dreams? I threw my grades in the ditch and I finished a four-year degree in three because I couldn't even wait four years with Miss Tracy. Seven years. That is a grievous task. That is a grievous timeline. Seven years from now? But what does the Bible say? They seem to him as but a few days. Why? For the love he had to her. The love that he had for her made, her made him go overboard for her. The love that he had made a grievous task seem like nothing to him. Could we not, should we not, would we not give even more love to the one who gave his only son to die in our place? I get it. You're here on a Wednesday night. You may wish to be separate from the world. You may desire to serve him with your life. You may give of your time and talents and treasure. You may read your Bible and pray. And you may put God first in your life. And you may have made decisions that other people refuse to make. And those are all wonderful things. But before you pat yourself on the back, and before I pat myself on the back, do you know the word that the Bible uses to describe that kind of life? Reasonable. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. That's your reasonable service. If that is what reasonable looks like, what, is, what does abundant look like? What does abounding look like? And I'm not exactly sure. But let me ask the question that goes along with this point. Is he not worthy? Go overboard in your love for God. Is he not worthy? No matter what it costs, what would you be able to give to him in love that he did not give to you first? 
This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. One of those commandments being the next area we're going to bring forward tonight. Go overboard in love for others. And here's the question. Are we not commanded to do that? Go overboard in your love for others. We mentioned in Matthew 22 that Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. He continues to say, and thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, Samaritan, what if your neighbor's a Jew? Okay, Christian, what if your neighbor's a jerk? What if your neighbor, and I'm not just talking about your neighborhood, what if your coworker is a loser? What if, what if some people in your family, when they say, we're all getting together for Thanksgiving, you always think, oh, I hope so-and-so is not there, right? What if your neighbor is also your enemy? And we read in the Bible, love your neighbor as yourself. Fine. No, 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 no. Okay. There, there's a story that I read about this old lady, this super faithful old lady, Christian lady, good lady, who listened to a pastor, her pastor, preach a message along this line. And we are supposed to love the whole world and go out and reach the whole world. And she came up to him afterward and she said, I have no problem with loving the world, but it's that miserable wretch next door that I'm having a problem with. And isn't that so true? Loving the world is not the problem. It's loving your coworker who's constantly on your case it's loving your manager who knows that you're a Christian and is going to do everything he can to push you out. That's the trouble. It's loving your family. It's loving those friends that you used to be real close with until you brought God into your life, and now they want nothing to do with you. But the but wait, let's see, where did we lose you? Love your enemies. But what about, no, 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 love your enemies. Go and not just love them, go overboard. Be abundant. Be abounding in your love for them. We are commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves, even if they are completely different than ourselves. We are commanded to love those who hate us. That's easy to say. That is not easy to do. We are commanded to love those who hate us. Now stop. Love does not mean support. Love does not mean agreement. Love does not even mean friendship. Love just means love. Now, church, I know that this is just a very simple message, but pretty much all profundity is wrapped in simplicity. Where we can't show support, we can always show love. Where we can't show agreement, we can always show love. Where we can't show friendship, we can always show love. And not only can we show love, we're commanded to show love, and not just show it, but to abound in showing it, to go overboard in showing it. During Paul's ministry, his greatest enemies were the Jews. His greatest enemies were the Jews. He didn't support them. He fought against them. He didn't agree with them. He argued with them. He, didn't, he wasn't friends with them. He separated from them. But when he looked at them, his enemies, he didn't hate them. He said this, he saw them and said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Romans 10, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You know, Israel, the Jews, 
The ones who called him a traitor and a coward. The ones who called for him to be arrested. The ones who called for him to be whipped. The ones who stoned him. The ones who were constantly looking to kill him. He loved those people so much. If he could have traded his soul so that their souls could be saved, he would have done it. Wow, Paul, that's a little, a little what? Overboard? Guess what? God used that man's overboard love to make him the greatest missionary in history. Because God promised your labor won't be in vain in the Lord. And Paul even said at one point, I used to go overboard in sin. Why can't I go overboard for the Lord? It's real quiet tonight. I hope it's because we're following. But church, didn't you used to go overboard in sin? Come on, it's Wednesday night. Let's be honest. Didn't you used to go overboard in sin? How often do we go overboard for our flesh? How often do we go overboard for something that is completely temporal, that means nothing in eternity? You have the capability. We have the time. We have the talents. We have the treasure to go overboard for something. We need to start going overboard for the Lord, especially in this area of love. Go overboard in your love for God. Is he not worthy? Go overboard in your love for others. Are we not commanded to do that? It is human to love those who love you. It's Christian to love those who hate you. I'll tell a personal story. Maybe that'll wake us up a little bit. I feel like we're sleeping. There was a man, a man, he's a man now, but there was a kid in school that I went to school with. I didn't like him and he didn't like me. We did not mesh one with another. He had a very different personality than me, and once you know it, the Lord put us in the same grade. His name was Phil, and I was constantly mean to Phil. Was, yes, was Johnny Che a four-foot-two, zip-faced Asian kid a bully? Yes, I was. To Phil, to Phil, yes, I was. I was constantly making fun of him, constantly on his case, constantly telling him he wasn't good enough. I was a terrible teenager. I've told you that before. I don't think you believe me. I was. I'm glad that you, do not, you did not meet me when I was young. I was constantly horrible to that kid. One day he came up to me because I had said earlier in the day that I was hungry because I forgot my snack. He went to the vending machine and bought me something. He came up to me and gave it to me. And he hands it to me and I said, what is this? He said, you said you were hungry. You know how much more I hated him after that? <laughs> because of the conviction that fell on my soul. And I left him alone. <laughs> Phil is the only kid I ever know who dealt with a bully without even throwing a punch. Have you ever met somebody and you know that the Bible says, love them? You know, but you just kind of want to set them on fire instead. Well, you know what the Bible says in Proverbs? When your enemy says he's hungry, feed him. And when your enemy says that he's thirsty, you give him water to drink. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's what Phil did to me. By the way, he's still in church. I saw him when I went up for Christmas. And we're friends. He's serving the Lord. 
He's doing well. All the kids that I called friend in high school are losers. Phil's still going strong. He knew how to put the Bible in practice in high school. And he taught me a lesson. He heaped coals of fire on my head. He didn't support me in what I was doing. He never hung around me when I was with those other loser kids. He separated himself from me, and that's why I made fun of him. But in one act of Christian love, he got me. The world will be reached not by those who have love, but by those who abound in it. Are we going overboard in our love for God? Is he not worthy? Are we going overboard in our love for others? Are we not commanded? Do we love even our enemies? And then number three, go overboard in your love for the brethren. Church, if we can't even love our brethren, we are nowhere close to abounding in love. I dare say we have none of it if we can't even love the brethren. And I'm not talking about as a whole. I'm talking about specific people. John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Your brothers. Church, when guests and visitors come in from Corpus Christi or from around the world, they need to see a church that is in unity. Because everywhere else they see division. There's division at work. There's division in this country. There's division at school. Everyone's climbing on somebody else to get further. And they don't care. They say one thing to your, to your face and then they turn around and say something completely different. They dare not see that in church. And certainly not at Heritage Baptist Church. Let it never be said. They need to see a church in unity. 1 Corinthians 3.3, Whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? Paul asked this church. How will we ever abound in love to others if we can't even love our brothers? How will we ever abound in love for God if we can't even love his children? John asked this question in 1 John 4.20. Listen to this. He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Doesn't God say if you approach him, if you approach God, and you remember that you have something wrong with your brother, you go and get it right with your brother before you come to God? Oh God, I love you, but so-and-so is a knucklehead. Brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, oh, I just can't stand them. Good luck, good luck with that. Brother Rusty, I love you, but your kids can't stand your kids, want nothing to do with your kids. Cassidy's just weird, and Cole's got so many problems. And Yeah, me and Brother Rusty are going to have a great friendship. We're going to have a great relationship. Oh, but I love you, and that's what we're doing to God? God the Father, I love you. I hate all your children. Or I hate that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. What are we doing? But I have love. I know you have love. We're not talking about having love. We're talking about abounding in love. This is a challenge. This is something difficult. You know what Jesus says, whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, you know what Raka means? Knucklehead. Empty head. Blockhead. Lucy is in, in, in big trouble. If you say to your brother Raka, You'll be in danger of the council. He's talking about when you went in front of the council, you were in big trouble. So Jesus is saying, if in my court, when you look at one of your brothers and you simply say, you're a moron. God says, you're in big trouble with me. You don't treat my children that way. 
But it's the truth. Whoa, stop. Aren't we told to speak the truth in? One time I, had, I, I did have to go up to one of my friends and say, you're being a fool. And you're going to ruin your life. That's a lot different than saying you're, you're stupid or you're empty-headed or raka to you and I'm not going to talk to you at all. That's much different. We're not mean to one another. That's, that's great. I can get along with them. I can fellowship with them. I can carry on a conversation. That's great. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about abounding in love to one another. Here's my question for this one. Do we not need it? Go overboard in your love for God. Is he not worthy? Go overboard in your love for others. Are we not commanded? Go overboard in your love for the brethren. Do we not need each other? Do we not need that love? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Do you know what the entire, pretty much the entire epistle of 1 Corinthians is? It's a verbal spanking. It is Paul correcting the church. But that's all right. When a church stands corrected, the church stands. But all of 1 Corinthians is a verbal spanking from Paul. He finds out that there's men and women touching each other before marriage. And that's what 1 Corinthians 7 is all about. He's finding out that there's a young man in the church who's having a relationship with his stepmom. And the church knows about it. And they're not doing anything about it. So he writes to this church. And by the way, it's not like I'm just going to call up and immediately get your reaction. He writes 1 Corinthians and sends it off to Corinth. And it has been months and he hasn't heard anything. He doesn't know how the church is doing. How'd they take it? Corinth is a huge city. If the church at Corinth falls, how, how are they going to reach Corinth? And look at what Paul says in his second letter now. He's heard back from them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Do you think Paul enjoyed writing 1 Corinthians? Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Church, don't we need people in our life who love us enough to tell us what we need to hear? Don't we need people like that in our life? Look in chapter 7. Look in chapter 7, verse 5. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. They still hadn't heard. Paul saying, we came to Macedonia and he couldn't handle it anymore. I haven't heard from Corinth. How did they take my letter? Did they accept my correction? Did they see it as the words of God and not just the words of me? Did they see that I'm, it's not that I'm angry with them, it's that I love them. And in fact, it's not just that I love them, I abound in love so much to have that conversation with them, but I haven't heard. He sends Titus from Macedonia and Titus comes back 
and says, Paul, you have nothing to worry about. They took it well. Look in verse 7. And not by his coming only, Titus is coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. Look in verse 15. This is talking about Titus. Titus's inward affection is, what are those next two words? More abundant toward you. Think of what just happened here. When the church at Corinth saw Paul's abundant love for them, they returned that love to him. And then when Titus saw the love returned to Paul, that made Titus love the church. And suddenly the love that they all shared encouraged everybody involved to go on for God. Do we not need that encouragement? Isn't that why we must love one another? Because we need it. We need people in our life who will love us enough to tell us what we need to hear, but we need people surrounding us who share in that love one for another. This isn't Heritage Baptist Church. This is my church. That's what every one of you should say. That's my church. That's not so-and-so. That's my brother. That's not brother so-and-so. That's my brother, my sister. That's what we need. And here we are, centuries later, convicted and inspired by the love that these Christians shared. Church, love is an unusual game. We either all win or we all lose. There's not a lot of games like that. But we either all win or we all lose. And hear me well, duty can make a church run well. Love makes it run beautifully. There are plenty of churches that run just because of the programs that they have and the schedule that they have in place. And they're just coasting. I don't want that. Duty can make a church run well. Love makes it run beautifully. And we need it, and we need it desperately. And the fact that the world will see it and will be affected by it, that's icing on the cake. We're not asking tonight if we love God and love others and love our brothers. We're asking, are we going overboard? Are we abounding in it? Are we increasing more and more? Could our love for God be described as abundant? Is he not worthy? And here's, here's what will spur you on in love in these three areas. Just remember this word. Remember. Remember the word remember. If you are lacking in your love for God, remember who he is. Remember where you were when he found you. Remember where you would be if it wasn't for him. And that will spur your love on for him. Remember how before he found us, we were going overboard in sin, but now because of Jesus, we can over, go overboard for him. That's why I love him. And that's why I want to love him more and more because he first loved me. And he didn't hold back. Could our love for others be described as overboard? Remember who they are. They're sinners lost and dying and going to hell who need somebody to show them love. Enemies, perhaps. Different, maybe. Souls, certainly. I heard somebody yesterday, I would not call their name to embarrass them, but they were waiting in line somewhere for hours. And they looked down and they had tracks in their car. I'll tell you where they were at. They were in line for a COVID shot. And everyone's in their car with everything closed up, masks, you know, and mittens. 
And this lady said, I'm not just going to sit here because these aren't just people in line. These are souls in line. She went up to each one of those cars and gave them a tract. Only had two that turned her down. The rest of them, thank you. Thank you for doing that. You know what? That, that's just called showing some love. That's just called having enough love that it's, it's got to come out. It's not difficult. It's not difficult. Could our love for our brethren be described as overboard? Some of you in here need to get right with one another. Some of you watching online, you need to get right with brothers and sisters in Christ. But you don't know what they did to me. Odds are they don't know what they did to you either. Maybe they do. So you're going to live the rest of your life in disobedience to God because you refuse to get things right with a brother? With a Christian? And you're going to try to show love to others when we can't even show love to your brothers? Shame on you. Are you not carnal? Forgive them. Apologize to them. Get right with them. Get serving with them. Remember who they are. They're your brothers. They're your fellow Christians. They're your sisters. They're your family. We're on the same team. We're on the same team. Going in the same direction. We won three championships for tournaments in my senior year in high school. I was the starting point guard. How good do you think we were? We didn't win because we were the best team. There was one team that was the hardest team, Grace Baptist Academy in Marion, Iowa, or Dubuque or something over there. They were hard. They had more talent than we, we did. They had bigger guys than we did. They had more experience playing with each other than we did. But we beat them twice for the championship. Two words why we beat them. Psychological warfare. Yes, they had talent. Yes, they had big guys. Yes, they had experience. You know what else they had? They had tempers. And we could always see when one guy on their team started fighting with another guy. And we'd egg it on. Because if we could get them apart, we could beat them. And we did. Don't let that happen here. I can tell you a story. I've got to let you go. I can tell you... <laughs> Come up to me after if you want to hear the story. Love your brethren. Love it in a way where maybe someone even come up and say, you're going overboard. We need some more men overboard. Overboard in love. For God, for others, for brothers. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcc tx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.